and welcome to episode 9 of the Science in Dance podcast and the second in the series Life as a Pro. Today I'm talking to Katie Deacon who is a West End performer and prior to that she was a professional ballerina. Today Katie and I discuss her path to the professional world and where she's at and what she's doing now in the world of musical theatre. Okay, welcome to Life as a Pro, uh, episode two. Today I'm here with Katie Deacon. Uh, Katie is a musical theatre performer and has agreed to join us on the podcast today. So thanks for, thanks for being on, Katie. Really appreciate it. That's all right. Nice to be here. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad to have you. I feel like this has been, uh, our chat's been long overdue. I've been, uh, I remember <laughs> bumping into you accidentally outside Pineapple Studios. So um, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, so amidst, amidst um, as I've mentioned before, amidst um, all the, the staying indoors that we've got to do at the moment, um, I'm trying to roll out these, these podcasts pretty, pretty rapidly. So I'm going to hand over to Katie, um, who's going to tell you a little bit about what she's doing right now, or what she was doing right now. And then we're going to go right back to the beginning. And Katie, I want to know like where you first started dancing and performing, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, so, well, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I was performing in Mary Poppins, the musical in the West End, hopefully soon to be back in the future. Um, but I started actually with m- much more of a classical route. Um, I started dancing quite late for most girls. Most girls start, you know, at three or four years old in their baby ballet, but I didn't do very much at all. I did a little bit at a local dance school, but it wasn't until Scottish Ballet came to my primary school um, when I was about 11, I think, to do some outreach programmes. Um, they did a workshop with us and then they invited me along to this programme called Innovate, which was a sort of community dance class. We didn't do huge amounts of dance technique it was more sort of movement and community outreach sort of thing and I went through that I got some really cool little performing opportunities with them met some other dancers and it was when I had progressed onto the next level I think it was motivate it was called and lots of the other girls that were the same age as me were going oh are you auditioning for the associate scheme this year and I was like what's that never heard was that Scot- was that Scottish oh. Ballet Associates Ballet's Associates okay. yeah so I'd never really heard of this I didn't really know what it was um obviously they started to speak to us about it because we were about that age um, and I ended up auditioning for the associate scheme. At the point, at that point, they only had junior associates, which was sort of primary six, seven, which is about 10, 11 years old. Um, and then they didn't have a mid associates, they do now, but then the senior associates was S3 to S5 in Scotland, which is about... 13 14 to sort of 16 years old so that's what I was auditioning for there and somehow I got into this scheme they must have seen some sort of potential because compared to lots of the others auditioning I hadn't done very much 
training at all and it was while I was at this associate scheme with our amazing teacher Penny Withers who I'm still in touch with that's awesome and at the end of the first year of it when we were you had to audition every year to get into the next um the next year group and she sort of pulled me aside and was like look there's potential for you to do this as a career if you want to but you're not doing enough dancing outside of this associate scheme so they sent me to um or they advised that I went to this local ballet school called Central Scotland Ballet School and my gran used to drive me about an hour and a half each way most evenings um to go to these classes and they pushed for me to get through my RAD intermediate really quickly um and I did a lot of extra classes with them so that I was ready to audition vocationally when I was 16. It's quite a quite a common story that really isn't it that, that people's grands and parents have drive them yeah, hear I that mean, and everywhere I mean my, um, I, yeah, I, she paid so many of my dance fees and she used to take me along every I think night. I think of one person that I've worked with in particular who I think she's in the the Orkney Islands um and she every you know goes to like scottish ballet and dance school of scotland associates and has to travel like ages to to get to that it's quite impressive Uh, it's i mean in scotland you have you do have to travel a little bit so yeah i mean it's much better in scotland nowadays but there was very little sort of high level vocational sort of training i mean even at the time when i then auditioned for vocational ballet schools all of the ones that I was auditioning for were down south because the RCS Modern Ballet Programme that they have now through Scottish Ballet wasn't around until Mm. the year after I left to go to ballet school. So it was quite a big deal in Scotland to audition for full-time ballet schools because you had to move away from home and go to London or to Birmingham, to Elmhurst, uh, Manchester, Northern Ballet School. Those were sorts of the ones that I was auditioning for and then I got into um I got into Elmhurst but I preferred Central School of Ballet I just loved the atmosphere when I was there and I just knew that that was going to be the right school for me so somehow even though I'd had a very condensed amount of training and started much later than lots of others I somehow found myself at 16 in London at full-time ballet school even though at that time I hadn't even really seen much ballet, didn't know what I was getting myself in for. Um, and that somehow ended up being my path. <laughs> so very much at the deep end at the age of uh, at the age of sixteen then? Yeah, throwing in London by yourself is quite scary. And at, and at that point in time, what were you thinking it was that you wanted to do? Because obviously I, I appreciate that people go to ballet school and the common theme is I want to do ballet but you know not everybody has that has that ambition necessarily to do yeah. purely classical ballet so was that what was the what was the kind of dream for you at that time um when I went to central my ambition was to go to Scottish ballet um I loved Scottish ballet and I remember in my last assessment at the associate scheme Ashley Page who was the director at the time said to me that he loved my work and he was like when you're finished training come back and audition for the company and that was always my goal so uh, I can explain more later but actually 
he was director of Scottish Ballet up until my graduate year when Christopher Hampson took over. Um, and I still love Scottish Ballet as a company, but at the time I then wasn't the right sort of dancer for them. And I always wanted to dance for Ashley Page. And funnily enough, 10 years later this summer, I was in a production of a musical called On the Town, which was very classically based. And I got to play the lead role in it, choreographed by him, which was kind of a really bizarre full circle moment for me because I'd always wanted to work for him. It didn't happen how I expected it to, but to work with him, well, there, it's a big there, thing. There's a, there's a great theme. It never happens how we expect it to, does it? Yeah. But, I think <laughs> but at the time when I went to Central, Scottish Ballet was my goal and I just assumed that going to ballet school you do your three years you audition for a ballet company and then that's it really because I was very naive when I went and I think it was almost good that I didn't know too much going into it or else I probably would have chickened out and not done it um so but what, that's so what, what did I you, thought what happened did, what did you <laughs> what did you find reality to to be because because I think for, for 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 many it can seem quite plain sailing until you're in those in those shoes um as a graduate year trying wait and and, you know talk to people about this before and it's a hot topic you know that even getting going from contract to contract I think you get better at it better at it with uh, experience but even even before your first contract after your first contract like there's a lot of waiting and and potential anxiety that drops in there so what was what was kind of the reality check for you because it seems like the it sounds like there was one yeah I mean when I first got to Central I remember my year group were amazing I still think they're amazing I'm still in touch with some people um we've worked together many years later but the year group I was in I was one of very few people who hadn't been training vocationally already so we had a lot of and people that came from five years at White Lodge, at Elmhurst. And so I really felt thrown in at the deep end and I felt very behind everyone. And even though we went very back to basics, as they tend to do, um, so that everyone's on the sort of same page in terms of technique, I felt really out of my depth. And I actually, about four or five weeks in, ended up with quite an ongoing Achilles injury because obviously I'd gone from doing a few hours a week of dancing into dancing all day every day obviously strength builds over time you know all this but because suddenly the repetition I wasn't quite ready for I had an ongoing Achilles injury for most of the first year um, which meant that I sat out a lot in lessons it was extremely frustrating but now looking back I wouldn't change any of it because I learned so much from watching classes and seeing how people took corrections on and anatomically watching how things fell into place and I remember um, myself and this guy who was also injured we were partnered together for our PADDA assessment at the end of first year because he'd also been injured. And we'd learned so much from watching other people in the Padre class that then when we came to do it ourselves, it was so much easier for us to apply. Um, and I remember them making 
quite a big deal of it because we got one of the top marks in that assessment and they were like look when you're injured you can sit out and you can watch all these things but it wasn't until second year that I felt like I sort of managed to catch up with everyone else in my year. I think I think that's um, quite a theme though isn't it I mean nowadays we see you know in, in chronic injury cases um, students professionals do have to miss some time and it's um, difficult to manage that period of time in terms of how it manifests itself. I mean, some, I believe that people do gain something from, from watching, but I think there's also a point where it has a, maybe has a negative effect on somebody's outlook as well, um, if it's in that kind of cycle. So I think encourage, I think that's a really great message that you're sort of portraying there, which is that it's goal orientated, you stay in, focused on you when you look back on it now it's, it's like probably made you yeah, I mean it was horrendous at the time I'm like really rose tinting it now but I it was very difficult to watch other people progress as you you see them progressing in front of you and you feel a little bit at a standstill um, but, your, but your progression your progression could then accelerate at a, probably at a higher speed when you did get yeah. back because of what you'd observed which which is what it sounds like um yeah and I think that I think that is true of people that are in that situation. I believe that they do come back better than ever. Um, You're listening to the Science and Dance podcast. As ever, leave your feedback and comments and let us know what you think of this episode. And be sure to leave a comment with what you'd like to hear in the future. Hope you enjoy listening. So to kind of kind of take where you were where you were at in terms of at the end of that first year, you'd come back um, with a bang, which is great. Did you mm-hmm. kind of learn a, a little bit about um, looking after yourself, perhaps a little bit more through that experience as well, or did did that come at a later stage? Because I see I see what I see like what you do now, and I think you're very aware yeah. of um, how to maintain your body as a perform- yourself as a performer. Um, when did that kind of penny drop for you? I think that really didn't come until much, much later, Um, honestly. I had a lot of that year where it would get a little bit better and then suddenly I'd go straight back into full class and then, you know, then that would be detrimental again, so it would be time off and it wasn't until much, much later, the last few years really, that I've really started to understand my body and what I need to look after it um we did have good support at school but maybe not as much as they have nowadays in terms of understanding yeah I mean uh, the the knowledge the knowledge base wasn't as wide um there wasn't the trust there necessarily in the for the system um Mm -hmm. not necessarily just between individuals because I think um, I speak to dancers that were maybe in I don't know London Festival Ballet in the seventies and eighties, and and they they maybe had they maybe had a physio one physio that they really trusted, and that physio was absolutely spot on. But because of the the culture and the system, they couldn't mm-hmm. implement that advice. So yeah. I think it's really interesting when people talk about their experiences like physio and the, and even not so long ago. You know, we're not talking that long ago. I think yeah. I think there were great individuals around that could help, but not necessarily the the kind of globalised systemic, system, you know, opportunity yeah. to put those things in place. Um, so 
kind of so you'd spent your three years at Central, mm-hmm. and when you got to that kind of graduate year, um, and you realised things were changing about where you might where you might go, um, yeah. what did you what did you decide was the next step? What was the next thing for you? Um, I was lucky in my graduate year that I got my first short contract with Bally Ireland um, through an addition which doesn't normally happen. Lots of it is, I find with a lot of graduates getting jobs nowadays, very few people can get contracts from these open editions. Maybe it's different now in the Bally world than it was 10 years ago. But so many times I would be flying to Europe on my one day off I'd get off a plane, I'd go to a studio, I'd take company, I'd take an audition class, and then they would say, really sorry, but we actually have no contracts, but it's been really nice to meet you, we'll get in touch with people if we do. So from, from the was, horse's mouth there, you've got literally yeah, got people saying there aren't any contracts, which is... That you think, literally you think to yourself, the don't, majority of my audition experience. <laughs> you think to yourself, well, don't hold, don't hold the audition then, you know. But I yeah, guess I guess some I places they, they have to. I think people get government funding yeah. if they hold their auditions. So I understand, but I was very lucky that I got this opportunity. Anne Marr, who's the director of Bally Islands, took a big risk taking a couple of us that were graduates because especially when actually you are a smaller company, um, you then all your company members have more responsibility because they have to take on certain roles that in a bigger company you might not get to do for a while. And um, she was very supportive of me and another graduate friend of mine who I still work with nowadays. And we had our first job together and that was a really eye-opening experience because you you feel like you're independent when you're at ballet school <laughs> and then you realize that actually when you're in a company and you have your company class in the morning and then oh my name's not on the schedule for rehearsals for the rest of the day what do I do with myself and that sort of thing and living by yourself and not having a such a solid schedule is a very big change <laughs> so the, that was at the age of 19 yeah 19 kind of 20 well that's yeah. I mean I think um there's the uh, it, it has to be drastically different between college or school and the real world I mean it's the same in yeah. in most jobs um so so after ballet so after ballet island how long were you obviously because we've just said that you you're now in the world of musical theatre mm-hmm. how long were you doing ballet for and when when did you make this like awesome transition to all the things that you do now? Because I've seen you, I've seen you on the Royal Variety performance. <laughs> I've, I mean, I I've, I've know of a couple of people that you were on in on the town with, uh, yeah. and that looked like an that tour didn't it? That tour around was that in in Japan at one point? Yeah, it was amazing. Job. I, mean, I mean, we'll get um, we'll get onto that. But that when was that? When was that kind of like switch? And what were you doing prior to, like, what what were all the different things you were doing in ballet? Like, where did you go? I did quite a few seasons with Ballet Ireland, um, and I'm very grateful to them for all the opportunities that I got. Um, it's a company that I wish had more funding. They don't get enough funding from the government, so what is difficult for them is that they can only put on short seasons per year. They're very, very loyal to their dancers, 
but it's very difficult to do a three-month contract and a tour and then have three months off, no pay, no class, nothing, having to keep yourself ready for the next contract, um, which we all have to do. We all have to do the hustle. But in terms of a ballet company environment, I think that the ideal ballet company you are in class every day you're rehearsing going production to production so I did quite a bit with Ballet Ireland and then I did um some work with English National Ballet before going to the Czech Republic where I was with with the National Theatre Ballet of Brno um and that was a really difficult year for me because I went out and at first, I loved it. Um, one ballet master in particular, Gustavo, he's still a very good friend of mine. He was really, really wonderful influence in my life. And when I first got there, I started getting some really nice opportunities, getting up on the casting for little soloist roles and getting sort of private coaching on different roles, which was really amazing because for, for um, i mean for people that perhaps aren't familiar with with bruno and, and I, I i know a little bit about it um it is a it is a state opera company isn't it it's it, and yeah it, and it's it, a full-on like big old classical ballet company and it's yeah it's a, it's a big one as well and um it's you know even now i look at some of the repertoire that they have on and it's uh very forward thinking you know lots of Yuri Killian, there's like uh, Natural Duato and all those types of things as well, yeah. which are really f- like, I describe them as full on, like yeah. mainstream, um, big company style stuff. So how was that transition into that kind of like big environment in comparison with like seasonal stuff with Ballard? Yeah. Not not comparing the standard, but more comparing the size and the scale and the operating. It was a strange environment because I found it very separated between those people that had been in the company in a long time and in particular were native Czech and those of us that were foreigners to them because over the sort of five or six years before I joined the company they'd gradually been getting in more younger um, dancers from all over the place and they also had lots of older dancers who had been there for a long long time and were on lifetime contracts so could be there as long as they wanted that used to be a really big thing in national ballet companies it's not so much anymore but it was a so it was a very split company in my eyes I think they've progressed a lot since then that was only a few years ago well maybe six years ago (laughs) that's a few um, that's not many it's okay (laughs) I I really enjoyed the experience at first and as I said I was getting all these opportunities that I really enjoyed and then we got a new director and he was coming from a company of his own where he had lots of dancers that he wanted to bring with him So as it always happens in a company, the last ones in are always the first ones out. So we had some meetings with the director and um, everyone else got their contracts for the next year taken away straight away. Um, I was very lucky in that lots of the ballet staff went to him and fought for me and said, 
that they enjoyed me being there and that my work was valued and stuff. But he was not great and said that he would um, essentially put me on probation and come and see me in rehearsals, come and see me in performances. He then refused to come and see any of those things. So I took it upon myself to say that I didn't want to come back that next year, which was very scary for me. Um, And I remember telling my parents about that and they thought I was crazy. Um, At the end of the year, he actually was asking me to stay on and I was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm not. At that time, um, I had a week off and I went to London for the week because I saw that they were doing open editions for Cats the Musical for Royal Caribbean. Um, and I had loads of friends in London, so I was like, I'm going to go along to this edition. They said you had to be available for four days. I was like, if it doesn't happen and I get cut, cool, I'm in London, I'll just have a lovely time now, with my be- friends. Be- before before I kind of uh, <laughs> let you go any further with the Royal Caribbean audition thing, I, yeah. I think it's most people who listen to this and are dancers that are currently doing those types of audition know how much of a cattle call some of those type those auditions <laughs> are, and you know I'm I'm fortunate to say that I know people that have done really well at those auditions, and at the same time, in the same breath, there are people that that go to the and it's just packed, and it's it's a case of just making sure you get seen, um, and I think that's very true. I've I'm fair to say so for people that perhaps aren't as familiar with how. <laughs> with, usual cruise ship auditions at pineapple or dance works or whatever then then yeah it can be quite that can be quite daunting experience in itself but you just thought hell to it i'm just gonna just gonna go yeah and if it tells you anything i was number three which means that i was very early in that queue but does that just just describe Um, you i think it might do i think that might just describe you completely but but um that was a wild experience and the one thing that I will say from that is Royal Caribbean are wonderful and do give jobs out of their open editions lots of other people will hold open calls and only give jobs to people that have private appointments Royal Caribbean definitely definitely give jobs at open calls yeah and they do they do hold their dancers in incredibly high esteem and I look at the shows that have developed on Royal Caribbean over a number of years I would love them to have employ some full-time snc or physio mm-hmm. staff which would like you know take after like Cirque du Soleil or something with some of the yeah. crazy stuff they're doing but nevertheless they hold their performers in uh, you know they kind of, it's kind of the makeup of the ships um mm. and the new center that they've opened i think in the last kind of four years four or five years looks incredible it, um, is. it really is so so how so how was that audition for you in particular was that um it was an experience and a half um (laughs) i think also um in comparison to ballet auditions it's so different i think that my one biggest pet peeve is that people that are only in the ballet world think that musical theater is the easy option it is absolutely not i think it is if anything harder than getting into a ballet company having done both um, but that audition experience, I was there at stupid o'clock in the morning. Um, we signed up, everyone got their numbers. We were in huge holding rooms. And then 
the first part was that they took about 50 or 60 of us into a room. They taught us two-eighths of a technical combination. We did it once across the floor, and then they shouted out the numbers that they wanted to stay on while they took another 50 into the room. So I did that first bit, and I was in the first group, obviously, being number three. Um, And I did that first combination, and I then had to stay till about four o'clock that day before I got in to do the next bit where we learnt a bit from one of their other cruise ship shows. I then got asked to come back the next day to do some cats material for them. And this was also the first year that they were doing cats on the ship. So we had all the original creative team there teaching it and auditioning it. Um, now they've sort of passed it on to people that they trust but at the time it was like they were casting the show like they do any other time and we did a couple of rounds of the cat's choreography and then I got asked to come and sing and I at that point didn't think I would have got that far so I had nothing with me to sing Classic. and I remember getting into the room and telling them that and they were like what and I was like I've never done this before and that was the first time they then looked at my CV and they were like oh you've actually never done this before I was like no um so they said do you know any songs from Cats and I did because I used to watch that video growing up as a kid I mean yeah I have the same VHS if you had the VHS of that, which came in like a magnetic box that you flipped <laughs> open, um, then, you know, then I would say that you're a top person. <laughs> but, yeah. but um, So I did, I sang a little bit for them. And then even more embarrassingly, I burst into tears and they were like, it's all right, it's all right, you've never done this before. And I was like, no, I've never done this before. (laughs) And um, they took me out of the room, and it's funny enough because the guy that was the MD there at the time, who is the MD for Cats, is now my MD for Mary Poppins as well. Small world. He probably won't remember this, but he took me out the room, and he's like, calm down. He's like, we really like you. We're going to give you this to learn. You're going to come back on Monday and sing it for us, okay? And I was there like, okay, okay. (laughs) So I actually had to fly back to the Czech Republic to do two shows of Swan Lake and then come back on Monday for this. And I ended up doing about six or seven days for this. Um, And then I eventually got offered the job and I said no. Because I wasn't ready to leave the ballet world yet. You said no. Yeah, I know. How how different would your life now be? (laughs) All worked out because (laughs) I then emailed the director of Ballet Ireland because I knew they had their winter tour of Swan Lake coming up. Mm -hmm. And I sort of explained what had gone on in the Czech Republic and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do yet. Um, But asking if they had any company spots available and luckily Anne had me back and I did that season of Swan Lake with them. During that time, one of our other company dancers got an email from someone who is an agent in London 
and they knew this guy and they were looking to take on new clients and what they were really looking for in particular was highly trained dancers because a lot of casting directors had been mentioning that there was a bit of a lack of really technical dancers, strong dancers auditioning at the time. And she says, knowing dancers, she also knows what the work ethic is like and that people would be willing to work on other areas and stuff. So he sort of showed me this email and said, you know, you really like musicals and stuff, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I really like musicals. He's like, why don't you give her a message? So I did. And I went to London for a day to meet her, have coffee. Um, We had a really nice chat about what I might want to do. And she sort of said, look, if you're going to do this, you have to be in it properly. It's new headshots. It's singing lessons. It's going to learn to tap. It's going to do this. And I was like, okay. She emailed me. I said, I'm not sure I'm ready to give up on this ballet thing yet. (laughs) So I said that I wasn't ready to do that. How old, do you mind me asking how old you were at this point? I was 22. Okay, so... I, so I'm 23, so, maybe. So a lot had happened in a short space of time. Yeah, so I'd done sort of four years in ballet companies at this point. And it's very difficult when you've trained for something and that's all you've known. And lots of people are saying if you decide to leave the ballet world, that's it, you can't come back. Because it's, I now um, will say that's absolute rubbish. But at the time, I believed that you had to do ballet class six days a week, you had to do ballet every single day to be at a certain level. Um, And I was too scared at that point to give that up. I was very lucky that when That contract with Ballet Ireland finished. A couple of days later, I got an email from this agent and she said, oh, this casting breakdown's just come out. And it was when they were doing Seven Brides for Seven Brothers at Regent's Park Open Open Air Theatre. Awesome. And she said, they're looking for classical dancers that can sing. And I thought of you. Can I submit you for it under my name? We don't need to sign anything, but we'll just see how you get on. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's go for it. The next day, I got an email from Royal Caribbean asking about my availability for the next cast of Cats because they couldn't find a certain part, which was the one that I was supposed to do before. Which which was, for context? Um, Jemima okay. in Cats Musical. Um, and... It was kind of all seems to happen at the right time and always coming together. And I sort of emailed this agent back and I was like, look, I've just got this offer. I'm really thinking about doing it. What do you think? And she sort of said, she was like, look, I think it's a really, really great opportunity. And she was like, I would be willing to sign you and to look after you on this contract I won't take any commission because you got the job yourself, but you know that when you come back, you've got an agent to push you in the right direction. So I ended up taking it all and signing with her. And this was Mildred Ewan at United Agents. And 
it is absolutely because of her that I managed to get into musical theatre. Um, I now am with a different agent, but that is through no fault of hers or mine. It was just the right point in our relationship to go separate ways. But she is an incredible agent. And if it wasn't for her, she was more of a manager and an agent to me. So she, as soon as I signed with her, she was going, okay, I want you to go to this person for headshots. This is the singing teacher I'd like you to go and see. These are the classes I think you should be taking. And... I'm very lucky that she was there. I mean, to to me, me. (laughs) putting that into kind of my language and where I come from and perhaps some of the health practitioners that listen to this is that that is just elongating a brilliant um, or taking the coaching process and putting it somewhere else at a different point in in a dancer's life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the kind of thought process that you only get coached when you're at college or when you're at ballet school. Yeah. And professionals still need coaches and mentors too. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, people always laugh at me when I say, oh, I'm going to go to my weightlifting coach. And they're like, mm-hmm. you have a weightlifting coach? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, would you write you write programs for us and you, you tell us how to be strong. I was like, yeah, but I need somebody to push me in the right directions and hold my hand a little bit, you know. And that yeah. is... It's so great to hear somebody, you know, who was in the mid-20s at the time say, you know what, I, need, I, I was really grateful for some direction and some, some, some steering. She was honestly wonderful. If, it's not, if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be performing at all. I think I would have given up on the ballet front and I don't think I ever would have made it into musical theatre. So, so just to talk about that kind of process, like first getting an agent, because there will be perhaps some people listening to this that are looking, you know, they've only just left college or they're looking to try and sign with people. Maybe they can sign with people off the back of being at a certain college, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Looking back, if you've been in musical theatre from the day one, what would be, in the current climate, what's the kind of advice that you give to people all things being equal when they're trying to get agencies and they're not really sure where to go, what to do, open calls, not open calls? Yeah, well, I kind of went through that um, a year and a half, two years ago now when I decided it was time to change agents. Um, And I get lots of people, especially lots of people in a ballet background that are looking to maybe go in other directions asking me about this all the time. But... My number one bit of advice for getting an agent is whatever agent you sign with, you should never be paying them money unless you're in work. There are some pretend agents out there where you have to pay monthly or you have to pay to be on their books. And that is absolutely like some kind of retainer. Yeah. Because an agent should work for you and there's no you know, incentive for them to get you work if you're already paying them every month. So that is my number one thing that I always say. And the second thing is that just because someone is seen as a top agent or a big agency doesn't mean that they're the right agent for you. I struggled a lot when I was reaching out to agents recently because I would chat to them or they would see my CV and then we'd meet in person and they'd be like, oh, you're a ballet dancer. And I'm like, no, I was a ballet dancer, but now I do this and this and this. And they're like, oh, 
so have you thought about Phantom of the Opera? And I'm like, I love Phantom of the Opera and I would love to do it one day, but my skill set also lies in other shows, but lots of people will see me as a ballet dancer and only a ballet dancer. And put you into that classical box. Yeah, and I think that it's the same with musical theatre people. People assume that because you're in musicals, you can't do straight acting or you can't do TV. Um, And I think that the right agent will understand your skill set and what you can offer. And they don't have to be the biggest, best agent, according to certain people. And they just have to be the right agent for you, really. Okay, well, I think that that's really, I mean, some of the best advice I've ever heard um, in terms of um, finding the right fit for yourself. And um, it's it's interesting that you might, as a ballad, as a classically trained dancer, be be pigeonholed slightly. Um, yeah. But again, it is seen, um, and I, and I often find this is an interesting thing: is that that transition and the whole movement from one genre to another. Um, is very much something that colleges and schools are now aware of. Um, mm-hmm. There's farm the versatility of a dancer now is probably greater than it used to be. Just yeah, about, and I still believe in people specialising, and I'm sure people do, people still have to have a direction and a speciality. Yeah. Um, but then an appreciation of being able to go to classical ballet school and also tap before you leave. Or yeah. having the opportunity to sing um, and tap but why, amongst your maybe contemporary training amongst, you know, without becoming a jack of all trades. Do you see mm-hmm. that as a huge advantage in the current performing arts world? Do you think it's... Yeah, absolutely. Say, like, I remember at Central, I can't remember who it was necessarily. It might have been a guest teacher. It might have been anyone. But someone said you're getting trained as a ballet dancer, that is all you will ever be able to do. And it it was actually, yeah, (laughs) great advice, right? It's actually my first ever ballet mistress, Mika Smiley at Ballet Island, who is a wonderful lady. Uh, She told me, she was like, no, you can do anything just because you've trained in one thing. And I absolutely believe that all the colleges are aware of that now and have made big changes to their training like for example I was supposed to next month it's not happening now because of the current health climate I was supposed to be helping run the musical theatre week at Central School Ballet where they do some jazz classes they do some rep they have singing lessons and they have an assessment at the end of the week where it's a sort of mock musical theatre type assessment and and obviously, you'll, you'll, you'll have the purists amongst the people in those, in, for example, at Central Hall, be like, this is really not for me. But yeah. even just an appreciation of the other art forms and the other genre um, goes a long way um, to, to bringing the whole, the whole thing together. I mean, I, I think about some really um, classic examples of what you just said in terms of, oh, you're a ballet dancer, you should go and do Phantom. I mean, it's the, I think I've heard one which is like, "Oh, you're a great tapper, just go and do Forty Second Street." Like, you know, that's the other, that's the that's the other one that I've heard. Um, yeah. But then again, the the musicals do shift round, and people don't stay in in the same one for a long mm-hmm. period of time. And then again, there are also some really fantastic musicals that aren't perhaps 
as mainstream. Um, I wouldn't. I, I know on the town is a is a is a fantastic um, classic of a musical, but it's not currently in our mainstream West End, is it? Or or is it? No, or, no, it's not. Yeah, I didn't think so. So you know, the opportunity, a bit like ballet companies, a bit like other dance companies, is you can end up in a different part of the world doing a completely different a different musical. So you've been in Japan doing on the town, and when. You had a stint in Cats, didn't you? In... Yeah, I went back to Cats. I did the international tour at the, well, this time last year. Yeah, just before On the Town. Okay, so, I mean, you, you musical theatre has also taken you around the world. Yeah. <laughs> the last year it definitely has. And, I mean, on a cruise ship, like, crazy. Yeah, how, how did you find cruise life? I loved it. I think... It's an incredible job job opportunity. Um, I saved so much money, like enough for a deposit for a house, um, which and the people I met on there were incredible. At Royal, they look after their performers so well. Um, my main concern, I was like, I'm so worried about being stuck on a ship and not being able to go anywhere. The size of this ship when we pulled up to it the first time, I'd never seen a cruise ship before. So you're, were you on were you on Oasis of the Seas? Was it Oasis that does yeah. cats? So yeah. Oasis at the time was the biggest. And I remember pulling up to this thing for the first time. And when we got on board, I mean, it is huge. It is like a city on like on water. And there are so many restaurants and shops and things to do that you, I, I never felt trapped on there. Um, the best thing actually is that unless you're a supervisor, you don't have, because I was dance captain, I had a decked phone, which means that people can get in touch with you, which is really annoying. But um, if you didn't want to be found by someone, there's literally no way of contacting you if you're not in your cabin or in your dressing room where they know the phone numbers for those specific places. So if you need to get away, there are so many places on the ship to get away to. How nice. Um, and, like, the gym facilities were incredible, the food. like, And then, obviously, you're getting off on your days off because, obviously, you're not on the ship performing because no one wants to sit in the theatre when you're docked in Jamaica. Um, when we were in port, we were always off so we could go off and enjoy ourselves. So it was... It was honestly a dream job, and I'd absolutely do it again. <laughs> so, if we kind of if we kind of fast forward to where you've been most recently, I, I mentioned at the beginning that I, I mean, we few people saw, well, many people saw you on Royal Variety performance um, <laughs> doing Mary Poppins. Um, obviously, that's what one of the well, certainly one of the UK's best selling musicals ever. Mm. Um, I remember seeing it. I think in two thousand and nine when it was in Liverpool on tour. So I was very young then, but I think, um, but it's it's kind of even that musical has developed over time as well. And how has it been, kind of jumping into like a childhood kind of uh, memory as part of the cast? Have you thought about it like that? Because that was a yeah, that mean, was a question I had written down. <laughs> it's crazy because I saw the original production in London, which was in the very same theatre that we do it in now. And it was on um, it was on a school trip, I think. And I remember turning round to 
one person. I'm going to put a little bit of a spoiler in here, but at one point, Bert tap dances around the proscenium arch up on the ceiling. And I remember turning around to one of my friends so clearly and saying, I'm going to do that one day. Even though I never really danced much at that point, I didn't ever see myself going into musical theatre training. Really bizarre. Um, But it's really crazy now. I remember the first time seeing that in tech and I was like, wow, Like I watched that when I was a kid. So you were now I'm doing it. You're now part of that tap sequence. And obviously I'm I'm fishing here now, but when did you learn to tap? (laughs) Um, During Cats the first time. Suddenly I was in a rehearsal and they were like, here's tap shoes, we're going to learn to tap. Um, oh, because there's, um, so, I, I'm, trying to th- I'm trying to think of, is it uh, Jenny Any Dots with uh, that routine? Well, I actually, funnily enough, on when I went back to Cats, I was a different part, but I also understudied three different parts as well, one of which was Jenny Any Dots, the Gumby Cat. And I remember when my agent called up with that offer and he was like, oh, and you've got second cover for this as well. And I was like, really? They never saw me tap in the edition. That's for a tap solo, right? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, but they, they saw you in American in Paris. They know you can tap. And I was like, I'm not sure I can do a tap solo. <laughs> but that was something that I did. Oh, gosh, we've got, we've got to talk about American in Paris as well. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm flicking between time frames here. But, like, I mean... I saw I saw American in Paris quite soon after it opened, and yeah. I absolutely loved it as a sort of dance purist. In in my it was a musical that was like right up my street. Um, it was it, I mean it was it's in one of the biggest theaters I could ever think of holding it in. Like you know, I, I think I think I think after it closed, I'm pretty sure I had like Bat Out of Hell or something in there next with like this huge like rock on a little bit different. <laughs> But how was um how was kind of the development of that um did you enjoy did you enjoy going back to doing something that I would argue is a little bit more classical? Yeah, I mean, I saw American in Paris on Broadway um before there was any talk of it even coming over here. Right. And this was just after I'd finished Cats on the Ship when I went to New York. And I saw this show and I remember being in floods of tears at the final ballet and I came straight out and I emailed my agent and I was like, if this ever comes to the West End, it's everything I love about ballet and everything I love about musical theatre in one big old show. And I was like, I have to be in this. Um, And I remember when they announced it was coming over and I was very lucky that I was taking class with Drew McConey um, I used to take his class quite a lot and he sort of pulled me aside after one class and was like oh you're quite a classical dancer aren't you and I was like yeah I used to be a ballet dancer and he was like do you do point work and I was like yeah if I have to um, and then he was like oh um, the casting director that I normally use is going to be casting American in Paris when it comes over and they're a bit worried about finding the right balance of people because obviously lots of classical people wouldn't have agents and he was like can I send your details to them so he got me in touch with James Orange and I was sort of part of the first exploratory rounds when they weren't sure if they were actually going to bring it over or not and 
Um, I did something like nine or ten rounds for that show because um, I was also I was being seen for understudy for Lee's at the time. So I was singing, I was dancing, I was doing scene work, um, and it was a long old process. And then it took them six weeks after the final audition to finally give me my offer <laughs> um and they called up my agent and they were like would she like one of the ballet ensemble tracks or one of the musical theater ensemble tracks and i my gut instinct straight away was one of the musical theater ones because it was quite split um especially with the girls between the ballet girls and the jazz girls and as much as I love all the ballet stuff that they do in the show, I didn't want, at that point in my transition, I didn't want to be seen as a ballet dancer in a musical. And so being one of the musical theatre tracks, because I got a few little singing bits, I got to tap, I got the sort of more jazz dancing, that was what was a priority for me at the time. But it was a really lovely balance of what I knew and what I didn't know um but it was also quite strange in how the whole company was sometimes run like a ballet company and sometimes run like a musical and it was a very difficult balance I think for people coming from different backgrounds and also the creatives coming from different backgrounds and I was kind of one of those few people that had done both in the middle so I could understand both people's point of views but it was such a stunning production to be a part of and I'm very very grateful for that. I mean I I was really fortunate to sit in on a a workshop from Leanne Cope quite recently um, when she came up north and the even the essence of the character that a musical theatre production brings to a ballet performance if that's a fair enough way to put it is is slightly different like because the the characterization becomes um not, i wouldn't say normalized but almost commercialized for a, for a dancer so watch I, I was watching at the time i was watching leanne teach it parts of it to students who were da- who were very much ballet dancers and adding elements of acting to that um, which you wouldn't necessarily get from a, a ballet. I mean, you should, yeah. but, you, but you wouldn't necessarily get the same um, levels of it. it. Was really really interesting, um, and it is a fantastic production. I wish hope people can see it again in the future. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, any time that any time that it's on the telly, special. Yeah, she that that part. I mean, she worked so hard on that part, and she was phenomenal to watch every night and she's also like the nicest human being ever 100 um, <laughs> percent. i need to get leanne i actually need to get leanne on this podcast and do that or do that one as well that's that's Incredible. that's my next one um yeah but in terms of in terms of obviously you were mid mary poppins at the moment and it, it's a shame that that's had to come to such an abrupt stop but i've kind of got some like quick fire questions for you which is which is like kind of uh maybe some bits of advice i've written them down maybe some uh like favorites or dislikes and stuff like that but in terms of a musical that you haven't been in that you'd love to be in you're nodding so i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna guess (laughs) 
Give me, um, give me two. I'm guessing there's more than my one. Dream role, absolute dream role is Cassie in a chorus line. Okay, because in, if anybody follows you on Instagram, they'll know that that kind of lay, that kind of layout is exactly what you like doing. <laughs> yeah, um, one day I'm gonna be Cassie. I'm just putting it out there. What, probably my fav- uh, probably my favorite up. musical of all time, actually, is Chorus Line. So yeah, yeah that's a, that's a great one, and and no doubt you'd be well suited to it. Is there is there another one that that springs to mind, or is that just top of is that top of the tree? That's the top in the future um it's an it's an intense role though isn't it i I mean i'm not um a musical theater critic by any by any stretch but i've seen chorus line maybe four times so it's quite a lot and i've watched all the kind of the mate in the making of there's like a nice film yeah i've watched a million times um and uh it's it is a very mature intense role you've got that huge dance solo heart it, it right in the heart of it um full of expression is that kind of just how you see yourself just sort of giving all in the middle of the stage is that yeah and also i just think there's so few what are seen as like leading lady roles that are hugely dance featured it's such a thing that i'm trying so hard in this industry to get across that dancers are still seen as the sort of low rung in musical theatre even though you have to get through all the dance rounds you then also have to show them that you can sing also that you can do all the scene work to understudy and I hate that dancers are always seen as sort of the background and aren't quite as um quite celebrated or maybe that's the wrong word as someone who can sing a really big song which I think is also incredible yeah but so I feel like there's very few roles out there that are seen as big principal parts that have a huge dance feature I mean I I liken it to if if people aren't familiar with musical theatre and watch a lot of ballet and stuff uh and if and if people have ever seen like uh Bolero Beja's Bolero that's yeah. kind of like how the level that I put Cassie on, like it is yeah. like all out in the middle by yourself, one person, like, and yeah, then to, 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 to kind of throw some other questions at you, because I know you do a little bit of, you do, well, you do quite a lot of teaching um, mm-hmm. in and around London and those classes are well subscribed, I believe. And, but now you're doing, obviously, because we're in lockdown a little bit, you're doing some online coaching, but what yeah. kind of the th- what are the what are the recurrent themes that you and recurrent themes in terms of advice that you find yourself giving to young performers on a regular basis you know what I, I appreciate that each person's got like individual things to work on but is there a kind of a a uh, a theme that you'd like to level up for the the younger generation right now is there something that they need to really push for a couple of things, really. Um, my number one thing is always to keep learning. I feel like so many people, especially in the UK, I do a lot. Whenever I can, I go to New York to train because just their mentality. I don't necessarily think they're more talented performers, but I think their mentality is much better than ours in that they always want to learn, even if they're in a show even if they're working they're still honing their craft training their bodies training their voices I feel like here there's a lot of oh I've graduated from college so I must be ready now I'm done 
Whereas I think that we always need to keep learning, keep training. Just because you can't do something now doesn't mean that you can't do it in the future if you want to, but you have to put in yeah, there, the effort. There, there is like a kind of, oh, I've finished school now, I've run out of time. Yeah. Kind of thing. And very much so. You're, in fact, you're, I, I, the, the, how I would, uh, somebody described it to me is that college and ballet school and university or wherever you go and train, um, they give you the tools to be able to learn in the future because you have to draw on things that skills that you developed as a learner in the future in order to pick something up or do something different, do whatever's asked of you. So I think that's, um, that's an interesting topic is a willingness to learn is, yeah, and I'm kind of a prime example of that, though, if you think about it, because I didn't go to a musical theatre college, so I didn't have any of these sort of training and experiences that those people have, so I had to find other ways to do it, and it's obviously possible because I've done it. So I think that keeping on learning and being willing to learn is one of my major things, and my other major thing is to be nice to people, (laughs) honestly, the amount of times that I have, um, you know, been out for lunch with someone or been on the train with someone and heard someone making a comment about a teacher, a dancer, an audition they've just been to, a show they've just been to see and making not very nice comments. And in this industry, especially as you progress, people get to know you um, by how you are described by other people. Like when I started this job, I had so many people come up to you and be like, I've heard so much about you from X, Y, and Z, or like, I've worked with this person like, that's oops, also worked like, with you. What have they said? <laughs> you, know, you know, if um, if you've not been nice, then it gets spread around very fast in this industry. And that probably, that probably doesn't help employability either. So you know yeah. that's that's a sound piece of advice so we've got be nice on that front and a willingness yeah. to learn a willingness to learn like, but for, learn. For, with with yeah. great justification as well like katie that is valuable stuff and then kind of um to bring it to a bit of a close because i can't believe we've been on here for an hour but um <laughs> if obviously you're doing some bits and tutorial bits at the moment and you're taking you're do, delivering some online classes which is so valuable for people to stay sane really I think at the moment and keep themselves motivated but I'm of the opinion that the performing arts industry will bounce back better than ever having been in a lull and been in a been in a COVID-19 situation I think people will will no longer take live theatre or live production for granted and maybe go you know I've got to go and see this whilst it's on otherwise I'll never see it and I hope that's the case um but but um if people want to get in touch with you what's the kind of what's the best way to to find you and and uh maybe use some of your resources and be coached by you if necessary um always for me instagram is kind of my business thing i keep my other social media for a bit more personal use but um my instagram at katie deacon 92 um, I mean, I put personal stuff on there as well, but that's where I put out lots of what I'm doing, when I'm teaching, videos, the live classes at the moment, and also my contact details are there for sort of freelance teaching work and workshops and things like that. So people could happily get in touch with you there if, if, if need be. 
And yeah, then I to sometimes up. I take a while to get back to oh, you. Yes. <laughs> I'm slow with my messages. But I'll put, I'll put a link in the description for how people can find you and some links to some of the shows you've been in as well. And also, we uh, from from kind of from us here, or me, should I say, we've got to say congratulations on your engagement as well, um, okay. which is super <laughs> awesome, which is also to a physio, which I think is yeah. ace. You know, somebody who, who can patch you back together again, which is always yeah, useful. Yeah, he's very useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think that's been really valuable, and uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. That's all right. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Take care. <laughs>